2: Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this fine Friday afternoon by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you?
3: I'm good, Dave. How are you, my son?
2: I'm doing splendidly. Never better. Top of my game. Um, you know, couldn't complain if I tried.
3: You going to any Halloween parties?
2: No, 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 no. Um, My daughter has a birthday party to attend tomorrow. That's about the equivalent, right? Okay, yeah. No? No? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, If anyone has any suggestions of what I should be for all... I don't like Halloween. I I don't. I don't. I've never had. I've tried. I don't like it. It's because you're not a child. (laughs) I'm going to let you go with this so I don't get criticized. But if anyone has some costume suggestions for me, I was going to be... I was going to be like Captain Kirk and my wife was going to be um, like one of the women from the original Star Trek. I don't know about go that. The,
2: go the Go the pun route. Do the real dad thing and be a serial killer and go with like a plastic knife through a box of cereal around your neck.
3: Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's second on just, my
2: list. Yeah. Just make a dad joke with what you do.
3: I did a dad joke a few years ago. I, I was in all black and I had these little baby chicks that mm. were stuck all over me chick magnet there you go Ding. Yeah. I get it I want to do it again I think you it's can the same, why can't you but it's the same party people will remember
2: <laughs> whatever you don't need to be original I, so I've got a theory about Halloween that um, everybody should do it until they're done so like I don't think there should be any shaming of like late teens doing trick or treating just let them do it let them do it they could be doing so many worse things with their time. Don't shame them if they come around to your house gassing for candy. Totally fine. 18, 19. And then based on my experiences in college, walking around drunk trick-or-treating with a bunch of my friends probably would have been more fun than any of the like stupid clubs and parties I went to. Like just let's let's destigmatize trick-or-treating as a late teen young adult. Okay? That's where yeah. I stand. That yep. is my firm position on the subject. And then after the age of like, let's say 24, 25, nobody should ever dress up again. Ever. Under I any was, circumstances. I,
3: I never was into it. I was Indiana Jones for like seven years in a row because I had the hat, the shirt, and I just happened to have a whip. Um, okay, these are the finalists. I, I don't like the Star Trek thing, but maybe I was going to be Walter White because people think I look like Brian Cranston
2: get a skull cap or something
3: yeah and i'd have to start doing the the goatee right now uh uh what else um oh everyone says my wife looks like the woman from yellowstone i don't but i don't i don't like that show so i haven't seen the show so i don't know Yeah. yeah that's okay don't well there are probably plenty of people who like it uh what was another one i need people to vote I can't remember. I'll think of it right in the middle of when you're speaking and then I'll just blurt it out.
2: Perfect. Um, okay. We are a UCLA sports podcast. Uh, we are. Yeah. So we talk about UCLA oh, sports. Oh,
3: I was like, going to be Barbie and Lori was, my wife was going to be Ken. That'd be funny. All right. I'd like we'll that. that. I need to find a dress that fits my bust. Okay. Keep so you going. do Sorry. have a
2: robust bust.
3: I got a great, bu- I got great pecs, man. Okay. Yeah. Keep going.
2: All right. Uh UCLA football um we're we're a little silly today because UCLA football's in a better position than it was last week. So we're not as mopey. We're not as uh I don't know, um down at the mouth. Uh UCLA beat Washington State. We talked about that uh last week as a must win. People did not like the tone of that discussion at all. Um You think but- yeah, uh, but um, what we were trying to do was draw a picture of the uh, the situation, and if you make a claim that something is a must-win, you need to analyze the downside risk of not winning. That's and why it
3: is a must-win by definition. Right. Yeah,
2: This game coming up, which we'll talk about in a second, I do want to recap Washington State first, but this game we're talking about in a second isn't a must-win. It's a huge opportunity. So when we talk about Oregon State, it's all going to be positive tinged language because the nature of the game is very different.
3: UCLA. I see what you're doing here. I see what you're doing here. I love it. You're trying to subtly explain why we were taking those that kind of uh, approach and mindset to our last podcast to put it within the realm of acceptability for most of our readers?
2: Well, let's put it in a golf analogy. Beating Washington State was to maintain par. Uh if 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 they'd lost that game, they would have gone one over. It would have been in, you know, you know, bad bad state. Beating Oregon State, that puts you under par. Like you're in you're in you're in golden you're, you're territory. You're in Eagle territory. Yeah, you know, you can you can really go for it now. You can go for winning that tournament, so to speak say the Pac-12.
3: Maybe it's losing, a championship. Losing
2: losing is just maintenance of par. Like this was yes. a this was a game that they're not favored in. Uh losing here, you know, it's that doesn't end your season. Still leaves the possibility open for a successful year, but winning here drastically changes that. So anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Washington State first. Um big takeaway from this game for me, Tracy, beyond anything else? beyond any of the nuances about it I just get the big dumb take out of the way UCLA's defense is for real as a whatever you want to call it top 20 unit top 25 unit if you even want to go as far as say top 15 unit I'm I'm there with you but it's
3: for real yeah yeah look at you I've just got some BBS man I, I, I it's hard for me to take the leap of faith until I see that it's been tested Um, and so far, I mean, that's proven me well. I mean, we, we kind of jumped thinking this offense would be really good and, and it hasn't been, um, we've assumed the defense was good and it has been, but there's one last thing that needs to be tested and that's, it's, uh, rushing defense and it will get tested on Saturday. So hasn't been, you easily could say it has not been tested yet. Correct.
2: Um, I mean, yes and no. I mean, Utah's uh, offense generally is very bad, but the rush offense was the strength coming into that game, and UCLA more or less shut them down. Um, I, I generally think if I was describing this game coming up in terms of a test, the test is quality balance more than it is their like rushing attack in isolation. I think has done okay against rushing heavy attacks. They're not quite as good as Oregon State, but they've done okay. And they've done now uh, okay against a pass heavy attack. The question for me going into this game, and it's a light question at this point, because I've seen it now enough that I think it's a lot of it's going to translate. But the light question is, how do you deal with a team that's good at both things? Um, Because the stats will tell you right now, Oregon State's good at running the ball. Good at throwing the ball. A little bit better at running the ball than throwing the ball, but not bad at either one of those.
3: My takeaway from Washington State, I've repeated it in many different stories on the forum. Uh, it's an easy one for me. Um, Chip Kelly from went from uh, pretty much a brain fart of uh, his Utah game plan and play calling to making advances and progress and strides in the game plan and play calling uh, from the Washington State game. He rolled out Dante Moore. Didn't do it once against Washington State. Standard drop, had to go through his progressions, got destroyed. Um, Schemed completely, I wouldn't say completely, but really a lot differently uh, against Washington State. Um, I've made the point, let's just say UCLA's defense is pretty good. Um, How... uh, I, I personally rather watch a good defensive team watching just an offensive team with a bad defense drives me nuts. Um, but like I wrote in one of the stories this week, I would entrust Chip Kelly to improve this offense uh, more than a lot of coordinators, like more than I would Alex Grinch to improve the USC defense by the end of the season. Um so I was encouraged by what we saw schematically against Washington State. I, I, he, I thought he made some nice adjustments from the first half to the second half. The thing that jumped out to me, first half, still third and long conventional drop progression, either sack, interception, or hurry. Um, second half, tried it once, I think, to bad results. And then never, the only time I think I remember seeing a conventional uh, pocket drop where it looked like he had to get through his progressions, where it wasn't just a a hot receiver, was one time and it wasn't third and long. It was different down and it was successful. Funny that on third, not to do it on third and long leads to success. Um, So I'm taking away that Chip Kelly against uh, against Utah was just overconfident about his offense. Washington State, he showed that he started to self-scout better. And I'm looking for even better self-scouting, not overconfidence, but compensating for, the, for Dante Moore being a freshman and for that offensive line.
2: Yeah, I, I walked away from that game encouraged by the kind of, um, uh, at least in fits and starts, but I would just say generally, the lack of stubbornness from Chip Kelly. Um, making those kinds of adjustments, even if maybe you know not as much as we would have liked in certain situations, but still to say, okay, what's Dante Moore doing well right now? What can our offensive line block up? Okay, let's try to do more of those things, less of these things.
3: If you uh, want, if you listen to Chris uh, Osgood's uh, watched uh, red historian and, and watch some of those gifs, he he blew the obvious pun the. Giffy's are iffy this week, right? Uh-huh. God, Chris. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you're the guy who does most of the dad jokes here, Dave. I, I, I want to have a... Like, that one caused an me al- physical pain. An so allowance that, that's for the mark a of a good
2: dad joke. Okay, thank you.
3: Um, <laughs> it was... It, 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 he said there was a lot of adjustment. There was... Uh, as we saw, as you wrote, I think I even mentioned, they were running... Uh, Carson Steele out of the pistol, mm-hmm. which so far we haven't seen any other formation that I think ideally fits Carson Steele. I mean, yeah, it he him can a get downhill st- from yeah. a
2: from a running start. It's so much better for him.
3: We cannot no. I I, can, I think Chris said there. I think the whole outside zone thing was taken off the game plan. So that's just not good when you start Carson Steele. Who is a straight-ahead runner, and you start him sideways in the line of scrimmage, and then he's got to turn up without real momentum. He's got to build his momentum a second time behind yeah, the line of scrimmage.
2: He's not the exploder that uh, Zach Charbonnet was, where he can kind of... You know, Zach Charbonnet would do that thing where he's like kind of jogging behind the line of scrimmage, and then he immediately plants his foot, and is at top speed in like half a second. Um, Steele's not that. He, not? Yeah. He's got that mass, though, and you want to take advantage of the mass, so... Not, wow, coincidental,
3: <laughs> not coincidental that it was his best rushing game of the year.
2: No, definitely not a coincidence.
3: Yeah. So all that's all encouraging. Um, so now we can segue to talking specifically about Oregon State. Um, I just got through. I'd watched a few of their other games. I hadn't watched the entire Cal game. And my takeaway from that was, wow, Cal just like ran over them. Really ran on them. Some big some explosive plays on the ground against Oregon State's defense, which kind of surprised me.
2: Yeah, can um, I give you can I give you the the, the firm David Woods uh, this is absolutely one hundred percent correct take on Oregon State? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, go ahead.
2: Not a good defense. It's a it's a bad defense. Uh they struggled against Cal last Last week, uh, got run all over. Two weeks ago against Washington State, they really struggled against a pass-happy attack. They are 118th in rushing success rate allowed and 69th in passing success rate allowed. Bad defense on both phases of the game. They are not good.
3: Cal really hammered that, too. Uh, I mean, they were kind of, the stats from the week before, they weren't great, but Cal just really buried them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with that with that quarterback from Cal, who's kind of effective, too.
2: Yeah. And they've they've taken advantage of playing mostly uh, horrendous offenses like they played the same San Diego State team that UCLA played. Everyone remembers watching that game? Yes. Uh, horrendous. They played the same San Jose State team that USC played. Everyone. If you watch that game, you remember it right. Uh, not a good offense. Not a good offense.
3: Would you and- say that if there's a slight strength of the Oregon State defense, it had been, even though they probably weren't challenged by anyone, it had been their rush defense. So that's what I was thinking. It was going to be strength against, you know, UCLA strength would be running the ball. But man, I I was stunned. Cal just blew it open. Uh, they yeah. must have had. I didn't finish the game. I was still halfway through the fourth quarter. But I, I had to witness at least eight running plays over 12 yards. It was ridiculous.
2: Yeah, they, they allow efficiency. They allow some explosive plays. Like they are, it's, it's not a good defense. I think the idea coming into the year was that Oregon State would be kind of this thing where it was like top 25 on both sides. And the offense has certainly performed. Like it's performed about that level. I've got some, and we'll get to that in a second. I've got some uh, complications with it. But it's a good offense. The defense has, uh, from a preseason projection standpoint, this is expected to be top 20. Right now in the SP Plus, it's 39th. And that's still carrying in the preseason projections that had this top 20.
3: Yeah, when do they drop that season? Almost never. Why do they have those in when you now have data? uh,
2: Because if you do the actual, like, how does it marry to results? When you add in the preseason projections and you slowly bleed them out, but still leave them in at the end of the year, your projections are actually more accurate. When you compare them to like Vegas spreads and everything.
3: Yeah, blah, blah,
2: blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in certain situations, you can find an advantage, right? Because you're actually watching the team. So you're like, wait, this defense is definitely not 39th in the country. This defense looks like it's 60th, 70th. Like they're, they're very, very average. So that's why
3: sometimes the SP, I i'm a little frustrated with it I just, it's, it, well, it's, it's broad it doesn't based. match to my to my eyes somehow. well it's
2: it's broad-based accuracy it's aggregating everything and so if you go by it most of it is going to be accurate but you can find these one-offs especially when there's injuries where it's like that doesn't marry to my expectation at all or when something is either a lot better or a lot worse than what is expected to be preseason like ucoa's defense i still don't think i mean it's it's catching up with it, but I still don't think it has fully caught up because it has right now. UCLA ranked 14th in defensive S and P plus. But if you look at what they've done, um, it's essentially seven offensive points against Washington state, seven offensive points against Utah, seven against NC central 10 against San Diego state and 13 against coastal Carolina. That should be a top five defense. That's what I was
3: going to say. Can you figure in your little brilliant hairy mind what it would be without the preseason it,
2: it, would, it would almost certainly be top five. Um, but okay. that's why they do that is because in the early part of a season, you don't really know who's good yet. So preseason projections still play a large role and they slowly get phased out over the course of a season. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's kind of a tangent. Oregon State, um, I think the best way to think about them is pretty mediocre defense. The other side of it is their offense. And this is obviously the matchup of the game. It's the strength on the strength. Um, Oregon State has the 12th best offense in the SP+, um, and that's held steady pretty much from what they were expected to be. So you can basically say that's more or less true. Now, here's the thing, and maybe this is me getting a little too narrow, but they've only played one truly like elite defense, and that was Utah. And Utah really, really forced this offense into a struggle fest. Um, They got, I think it was four sacks, 13 tackles for loss on this Oregon State offensive line and it's been the one defense that's been able to get into the backfield. Um and they made Oregon State work for every single one of those 21 points. Uh Utah just couldn't manage anything offensively. Now what other defense in the Pac-12 is very good about getting into the backfield and creating havoc, Tracy? Besides Utah. Uh
3: let me think. Let me think is it that team that has the really pretty uniforms?
2: Yes, that UCLA team. They're very, 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 very good at getting in the backfield, creating havoc, especially with the front seven. And I think this Oregon State offensive line has a very good reputation. I do think it is slightly overrated uh, so far this year. So I think UCLA's defensive line is going to have a pretty good chance of winning that matchup. Almost to the tune of what Utah did. I don't think they're going to quite manage 13 tackles for loss. They might not manage four sacks. But I think they're going to put consistent pressure on DJ uh, Ugalele. However he's pronounced. So this is another side note. He changed the way he pronounces his last name. Because it used to be the thing where it was like Uyagalele or whatever. Yeah. But then he was doing the Uyagalele for a while. I, I just got to go DJ U now. Because I'm, I'm so confused. I want consistency. Um, um yeah but anyway ucla is off just uh, say uh,
3: burke boyuk tunchal and, and then Buc- you'll be fine whenever yes. you say you
2: ucla's uh, uh pass rush <laughs> is top 15 nationally um oregon state really hasn't had to contend with that since utah and utah didn't go well i'm anticipating this won't go well either
3: so i'll confess i i really like or i've since Jonathan Smith has been there, I really like watching Oregon State. And I like watching Oregon State because I love watching their offense. It's my kind of offense. It's a strong running offense, strong offensive line um, that that basically dominates the line of scrimmage. That's that's a really good offensive line. It, it truly is. And they've done it. Well, they've mainly do it because they might have the best all-around offensive line coach in the Pac-12. Uh, Clay McGuire He's well-known uh around coaching circles as being just an excellent offensive line coach. Um before you think you see you could ever get him. I mean he's a from what I know he's a lifestyle guy, but let's just forget that anyway. Um, I think uh I told I said I think on this podcast at the beginning of the year that Damian Martinez was my favorite running back. I love to watch that guy run, man. He's he's not only big at like 230-something pounds where he's breaking tackles and punishing people, he is explosive and quick. He's he's just... He's my most favorite guy to watch. He was last year, too. I yep. I mean, I like Zach Charbonnet. I did, but I loved watching Damian Martinez run. And I know it's kind of trendy to get down on DJ Ugalele, but I don't think he's playing that badly. Everyone is... is uh, I mean... He's slow-footed, I get it. Um, he's made some bad throws, just uh, uh, unforced bad throws. But dang, he's made some really nice throws too. And he's made some against against Cal, he made some really great throws with touch, not just using his big arm, but with touch. Yeah, um, and I
2: think he had about 17 seconds in the pocket in that game. He's been asked this year before Cal. Like in the previous three games against San Diego State, Washington State, and Utah, he threw three touchdowns and four interceptions. His passer rating was never above 130. He hasn't been good. He was good against San Jose State and UC Davis, and then he was good against Cal. So that's where I was going. Yeah.
3: What What is he going to be like um, when he actually faces a pass rush? Slow-footed, uh, needs time to make a decision. That's, the, to me, right there, key to the game. Yeah, key to the game. Damian Martinez is going to get his yards. He's going to get his yards. I think we know probably how UCF's offense will get some moderately be able to move the ball um, with Oregon State's defense. It's not as good. Whether <laughs> whether the pass rush can disrupt Oregon State's quarterback is the difference in this to me.
2: Yeah. And the one thing I would note on, and I think you're totally right. That's the matchup to me. Um, but one thing I would note, they don't play Damian Martinez enough. Uh, I don't know what's going on with their running back rotation, but Deshaun Fenwick is a fine running back. Totally fine. They'll go whole quarters where they're just playing Fenwick and Martinez is sitting the whole time. He only has 90 carries this year. He's averaging like 15 a game. It's at one, on one level, I'm like, okay, they're being really responsible with their player usage. But I mean, he should be getting at least twenty a game. Um, and if he was getting twenty a game, this offense would be at still another level because it would take even more pressure off of DJU, and he'd have even more opportunities to hit those deep play action shots that he's pretty good at. Um, it's it's kind of baffling to me that they do not play him more.
3: And Silas Bolden, their little speedy receiver, really is scary. yeah
2: well they're they're all like tiny little speedy guys like Bolden Gould and Irish are all like under six feet and they're all quick as hell they can all run it's not pleasant uh thinking about a bunch of big corners covering them
3: yeah yeah that's that's kind of a weird matchup actually um I would I would expect where actually Oregon's uh our friend Danton Lynn who I'm having um a brass um statue built on my uh, yeah yeah front lawn um, all, we all are yeah
2: we're all getting the same copy so everyone out there it's a Indeed. bro perk uh that tracy's offering this year he's going to have an original statue built on his lawn and then we're going to have replicas send them out to everyone
3: yeah it's copper not brass sorry um correct he uh i want to see how he schemes against this because he's got bigger what do you yeah. do when let's just ask the question when you have bigger corners going against the smaller receivers? What should you do?
2: Well, you, you gotta you gotta beat them up.
3: You gotta beat them up at the line of scrimmage,
2: and you have to get your pass rush the hell after DJU as quickly as
3: possible. Those two things have to happen, um, and we'll see that pretty quickly if they're going to do if they. <laughs> or you drop.
2: I mean, there's the other option is what we saw this past week against Washington State. You drop seven or eight, and mostly rush three and four, and. I'm really – this is why I asked Chip Kelly about that. Those little
3: speedy receivers are going to find seams. They are. sure, sure,
2: sure. But uh, that's why I asked Chip Kelly about that this week earlier was kind of the question, how much can you treat that as a replicable situation? Like do you then – when you're game planning, do you count on being able to beat a good offensive line with three or four?
3: Did he answer us like a substantive?
2: Answer? He actually kind of did. He said, he did? "Well, you know, you you have, to, you have to you have to kind of part of it's a game plan. Part of it's just um, you know we think we have a lot of good players up there. So I think they do build it in a little bit, but I think they have to have the ability to adjust out of it if it's not working."
3: Here's the other thing too. Um, I'm skipping a little. You're on the road against fourteenth or fifteenth. When are they ranked? Both right.
2: Fifteenth um, and UCLA's is eighteenth.
3: Right. Uh, you need to be able to play solidly on special teams on the road against the number fifteen team in the country. You can't be missing extra points. You can't be missing chippy field goals. And and Bolden will if if they don't cover with him, he 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 gives them field position at midfield. That's gonna that's gonna kill you. The special teams have and usually I think special teams honestly are a little overrated on the impact they have on games. <laughs> I, 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 I'd I say it's going to have... It potentially could have a big impact on this game.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it could, and um, UCLA is going to have to... I, I liked what Will Powers did more in this last game. I thought he got more hang time, got more distance. Um, he's going to have to be very good, because if you give Bolden even a little bit of room, he's going to take it a long way back. Yeah. Um,
4: Selling a little or a lot to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with Shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
1: knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling meeting new friends or just even to master new skill
2: Okay, so Oregon State, I predicted uh, a UCLA win. Uh, Once again, sort of like Washington State, I could see it going either way. I can't really see blowouts uh, either way. I do think it'll be a close game. Um, When it opened at Oregon State, I think it was five and a half or something. That felt like pretty easy money to me. This feels like a field goal game one way or the other. Um, And I think it's just going to be dependent on, you know, that UCLA defense, can it, Limit them to, you know, three scoring drives. Can it do that? Because I don't think it's going to be the kind of thing where they limit them to what they did to Washington State, where they could, you know, essentially play the one dimension against Washington State. And Washington State's offensive line was far inferior to Oregon State's. I don't think it's going to be that. But I also don't think Oregon State's going to score with impunity. And, um, you know, I think the, for, for what they've been scoring this year, that leads me to believe that they're going to be somewhere between 14 and 24 points. And if it's on the lower end, UCLA wins. If it's on the higher end, they lose. That's pretty much it.
3: Um yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be lower lower scoring. Um two really evenly matched teams. When you really get into it and start analyzing it, if you uh, how they match up unit by unit, uh, even more micro unit, uh, I mean, it, they are two really You say, "Well, Oregon says Who are you here. saying has a micro unit?" Ah, I knew I knew you wouldn't get that one. We'll get past you on that one dad um, but as I wrote in an, in one of those articles, uh, I don't think there's been a game specifically where I can say I think a lot of the outcome rides on chip Kelly's performance as the offensive coordinator. Yeah I think that's gonna be really big if he can call a game that puts Dante Moore in that offensive line, in an optimal position to be effective against Oregon State's defense, I think UCLA wins. If if we get more, wow, just um, a game plan that isn't matched for the game at all, like Utah, it's a loss. If they're closer to Washington State game plan and play calling, I can I can see them winning. But obviously, a game, the results of a game is dependent on a lot of different factors, but. This one to me is a lot about Chip Kelly, which which is interesting because as we said, um, Dave, um, if UCLA wins this game, yeah, uh, it has the easiest pathway, probably, I want to say probably, it has the easiest pathway to the Pac-12 championship, even with the loss to Utah.
2: Yeah, so essentially the way to think about UCLA's schedule is... If it beats Oregon State, there are I'm gonna I'm gonna change it a little bit and say there are two more games that you need to circle as concerns. One is in two more games after Oregon State, so it'll be Stanford and Colorado, not concerns. Neither one of those UCLA is going to be favored by anything less than like twenty. Nope. Those wait, 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 wait. Be...
3: Colorado. You think twenty?
2: Colorado twenty as of right now. And I, I can't see it being a whole lot worse than that. It's going to be okay. 17 to 20. Uh, at Arizona is trending towards more challenging. Um,
3: <laughs> it's been trending since more challenging since they lost Arizona at the Rose Bowl last year.
2: Well, this year, Arizona is definitely... It's not going to be reflected in the record. They've got kind of a weird schedule and they've lost some close games. But they are improved. Um, and it really depends on how... um. How stupid Jed Fish continues to be about his quarterback situation. If he sticks with Noah Fafita through that game, I consider that a – that'll be a tough one. But really, after Oregon State, it is two games that they actually need to worry about. Wait, wait, wait,
3: wait, 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 wait. You think UCLA has a better chance – Against Fafita than they do against Jaden Delora. You are no, not no, no, a Jaden no, no, Delora No, 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 fan.
2: no, no no, okay. no, 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 no. You misunderstood. I did. Uh, Noah I think Fafita. You Noah Fafita is a much better quarterback. There if we Jet go. If continues to be stupid and say that Jaden Delora, once he's 100 percent healthy, will be the starter. Then that game will be easier for UCLA. But if Fafita, yeah. it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Um, so Arizona and USC uh are the two remaining games that will have. They'll be under double-digit spreads, one way or the other. Uh, Stanford, Colorado, ASU, and Cal are all going to be somewhere north of seventeen-point spreads in favor of UCLA. Uh,
3: I don't think on Cal. I think they'll be. I bet it's a double digit, but I don't bet it, I bet it's not north of seventeen.
2: Cal, right now, if you go by the SP Plus, which generally predicts uh, lines pretty well, it's eighteen and a half.
3: Yeah, I, I'll be surprised if it stays there. But okay. But yeah, Cal Cal Get is a,
2: of those four teams that are bad, Cal is the best of them. Yes. Um but uh so it's really those two games. And they shouldn't lose to Arizona. They just shouldn't. Um they'll they'll have the whole motivation factor, they're a better team. Good teams have reliably beaten Arizona this year. UCLA is a good team, they should beat them. Those four games, they win those. And again, baking in the, the this coin flip game, they win. Nine and one going into USC.
3: Yeah, let's just think about that because I know everyone says, hey, we one game at a time. No, that's not what we do. We're fans, we're not playing the game. We can do these kind of fantasy things. So we've just fantasized, and this isn't jinxing anything, so get over yourself, that UCLA is <laughs> is nine and one heading into the USC game. Okay. Ranked conservatively 12th in the country? Yep. Wouldn't you say? I I don't think it cracks the top 10. I think it's at about 12. Um, What do you think are the chances that USC makes it to that game without losing? Coming up, USC has, well, Notre Dame, uh, Utah, Washington, Okay, Utah's ranked 16th, Washington seventh. Those are both in the Coliseum. At number eight, Oregon.
2: You, okay, C- can we talk about where what USC is going to finish this year? Because it's a very funny topic to me.
3: <laughs> did you talk to Ryan about this?
2: Yes, they're going to be eight and four, right? W- what did Ryan think? Uh, he he's still. I mean, he's he's still thinking the offense is going to be good enough, and you know, it's a valid viewpoint. I'm not going to knock the viewpoint. No,
3: no, no. Okay. I want to. I I kind of I I have. I think Ryan has credibility. I really want to know what he thought. <laughs> he thinks
2: he thinks the offense is going to be good enough. He thinks they beat Notre Dame this weekend, which will change the complexion a little bit of what you think the rest of the year is going to go like. But right now in the uh, SP+, Plus, it has two of these games is essentially coin flips uh, at Notre Dame and Washington at home. Uh,
3: really? Not? Okay.
2: USC not at Oregon. USC slight dogs. No, at Oregon is a pretty decided advantage in favor of Oregon.
3: Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Got it got, yeah. it.
2: got it. So, but three games that it projects as losses, but the two Washington and at Notre Dame are both like 49%, 50. Let's just say
3: they win one of those. They're yeah. 9 and th- they're 9 and
0: 3.
2: 9 and 3. Saying. Uh well, no, that if they win one of those, that's 10 and 2 and then it's uh whether or not they beat UCLA.
3: No, I'm saying from your 8 and 4 they win one of the four that you think they're going to win. Oh, right right right, yeah. right, 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 right. Right.
2: Yeah, and I mean they still have to play Utah. They have to go at Cal, which you keep talking about the dreaded specter of Cal. Let's see <laughs> it. Um, they
3: should be the California dreaded specter. But I guess the thing is USC.
2: USC last year took advantage of a um, remarkably easy UC, uh, USC schedule. Like it was not the uh, kind of tough schedules they've had in the past. This year's one of the tough schedules. It's one of those years where they've got to play. Over this backstretch, they're going to play five teams uh, that are, I think, currently ranked in the top 25 and are also in the top 25 in the SP+. Like, not only perception, but the underlying stats indicate these are five really good teams and they have to play them all in this last six games.
3: Yeah, it can't be understated what the advantage is that UCLA doesn't have to play Oregon and Washington. Um, Yeah. Everyone who has to play Oregon and Washington basically has a really tough schedule. <laughs> yes, yes. That's 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 pretty much it. Um, and UCLA doesn't. It, it, UCLA has to take advantage of this opportunity. It's the last year of the Pac-12. I, I don't ever remember this with a win over Oregon State that this would open up like this.
2: Yeah, I, I and mean, and that's not to say Oregon State is bad, but like when you look at what Washington and Oregon are doing this year, they are buzz saws. Like, they are the the cream of the absolute crop in the Pac-12. Washington State and Oregon State are both pretty good. Like, they're both really good teams, but they are not the buzz saws that are Washington and Oregon. Washington and Oregon are probably the top two teams. They have each pretty tough conference schedules in that they each have to play USC. And USC probably wins one of those. Um, so, more than likely... Those two teams, by virtue of them playing each other and then one of them taking a loss to USC, are going to eliminate themselves from rematch in the Pac-12 championship game.
3: I watched every Oregon game. Um, and like you said, they just they are powering through. Into, even the one game and they're all running together. It was one game where they struggled for the first half. It was still it was still a matter of in your mind, you're just saying, yeah, the, the train's just getting warmed up. As soon as it hits the tracks, it's going to take off, which it did. I, they are, I think they're the best team in the Pac-12. Uh, Washington plays at Oregon, correct?
2: No, it's at Washington, okay. so that's going to make what, things that's interesting.
3: Right. That's, that's what makes things really, really interesting. Because
2: um, I agree with you. I, I actually have Oregon winning that game even on the road, but it being in Washington does change the complexion significantly.
3: And while we're talking about it, we were just talking about UCLA being 9-1, and one, going into the USC game. And, and all we have, I mean, we could project what UCLA and USC are going to be like. And you said they could have a few losses under the belt by Ben. But let's say they're still just the Ryan Abraham that they're getting through with their offense. From what we can see of these two teams, and even with the state of UCLA's offense, that matchup is favorable for UCLA. Um, USC's offense is really good. It truly, truly is. But it struggled at times against some defenses that aren't that good. ASU's defense is pretty good. Arizona's off defense, they looked pretty good against USC. Yep. And they're not that good. So I think UCLA's defense has a really good chance... Um, to match up well against USC's offense,
2: I'm gonna wait to say anything about that until I. See I'm just they... saying it's a game. It's going yeah. to
3: be a game. I
0: agree. 100%.
2: Yeah. So I agree because for a lot of reasons, one, Chip Kelly is always he's always been competitive in this game, even with bad teams. Um, I think he understands the need to um, like really throw out a uh, interesting game plan. But if you look at the next two weeks, they have to go at Notre Dame and Utah at home. This is going to be really telling because those two teams are both good, but where they're really good is on defense. Uh, Notre Dame's a top 10 unit. Utah's just outside of it. If those two teams are able to keep USC from, because here's the thing with USC scoring. Yeah. Has the offense scuffled a little bit at times? Sure. They've still gone over 42. They've gone 42 or more on every single opponent this year. Will a really good defense be able to slow that down? Will Notre Dame? Will Utah? And if they're able to do it, then I'm going to be much more confident that UCLA is able to do it.
3: The other thing I think we have to uh, have on our list to um, just pay attention to as we go throughout the season. And I I don't even know if it's a factor. I'm assuming because, you know, this is what you and I do for a living. Mm-hmm. So much of whether a unit or a player are, are are good is because the opposing coaches don't know that coordinator very well. Doesn't know his scheme, doesn't know his tendencies, doesn't know his weaknesses. I think there could be a little bit of a of an element here that Danton Lynn is, is really succeeding because opposing offensive coaches don't have a bead on his defense yet. Um mm-hmm. They still might never get it throughout the season, but I think there's something to maybe consider that by the end of the season, there'll be enough on film that defenses start, I mean, offenses start to see the weaknesses in Dantlin's game. Interesting.
2: Well, in any event, it's going to be a very interesting game. Five o'clock tomorrow. Check it out. Um, If you're not going to Corvallis, it will be on, I believe, Big Fox. So, Uh, enjoy the game we do have to talk basketball though Tracy
3: we must
2: we must talk basketball you went to media day this week we saw some practice last week Um, and I think the big takeaway obviously um, given everything we've seen and heard is that Will McClendon's playing between 30 and 35 (laughs) minutes this year Um, he's not only fulfilling my expectations for him he's far surpassing them Uh, and he's going to be ascendant and potentially an NBA player after this year tell me why I'm wrong
3: Um, if you notice uh, when, uh, Mick Cronin is being interviewed, I'm holding the camera Mm -hmm. and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) tell him this. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So wait for his backstory, You, you know, and he's serious, but he's also taken a little bit too far that he, that, uh, our friend Dave Woods is the head of the Will McClendon fan club at this point, because there are a lot of reasons to be a Will McClendon fan But then early on in the season, Dave, you know, I didn't know when this was. Sometime in summer, you were talking about Will McClendon and how good he possibly could be because he does all the little things. He's going to be an experienced player on an inexperienced team. Exactly. All of that stuff. He's not
2: going to turn the ball over, baby. He won't
3: turn over the ball. All of that stuff. Um, So Dave is now taking it to new heights about Will McClendon is uh, I mean, uh, who is Will McClendon? I mean, he's he's Amari Bailey II.
2: I mean, really? Uh, I mean, that's yeah, I mean that's yeah. the low end, right?
3: Low end. So I'm holding up the camera for Mick Cronin's interview. Mick Last starts Friday. talking about Will, and if you saw the camera like shake and go out of frame, that's because Dave kept elbowing me. <laughs> about Mick mentioning Will McClendon. (laughs) This is... So you get the sense of what it's like to work with With. Dave Woods. Yeah. If he would have had like a hammer, he would have been hitting me on the head. (laughs) Which he's done uh, like unsolicited uh, before for no reason. Well,
2: this is just... I mean, Tracy, as Mick said, this is just because you're not an analytical guy,
3: you know? He didn't say that. That's not what he said. He was (laughs) trying to say... Tracy, you don't know all like the useless informational Mm -hmm. stats from Mm -hmm. way before. Mm -hmm. He didn't didn't mean it analytical. Mm -hmm. He's talked to me about analyzing basketball quite often, Dave. It was what was some rando stat from seven years ago. (laughs) Oh, you don't know that, Tracy, because you're a big picture guy. Dave, you're a source of useless information, (laughs) which is, by the way, our our long-held nickname for Brandon Huffman, Suey.
2: Beautiful Brandon Huffman. Okay. All right. But um, in all seriousness. uh, I was serious. Yeah. In all seriousness. (laughs) uh, That practice was really interesting. We talked about in the three-pointer, so we don't need to belabor it again, but uh, Adai Mara and Brandon Williams are a couple of standouts. Not even kidding, Will McClendon was. It comes with the huge caveat that he was apparently killing it in practice last year, too, shooting the ball. Um, and he did in this practice that we watched, too. But uh, that didn't translate to games last year. And now there's, of course, what Mick Cronin said this week and last week. He's coming off an ACL last year. Um, it was a pretty traumatic ACL. Guys are not the same when that happens. And then, you know, they can blossom the next year. He seems cautiously optimistic. It also seems like he's probably trying to pump him up a little bit, um, you know, get that confidence boosted. Um it's, it's become one of those things where like obviously I'm I'm most interested in seeing the true freshman. I'm most interested in seeing these international guys. But from like a team upside standpoint, if Will McClendon is playable this year on a whatever ten to fifteen minute a game scale, it really does change some of the dynamics available uh in that guard rotation.
3: That's exactly right. You've you've now landed and are nestled in reality, (laughs) (laughs) because that's exactly true. I I mean, during the course of the year, Will McClendon, uh, you've got, uh, okay, first off, the practice we saw, from what I've heard from various sources, Sebastian Mack was the standout of that practice until the last half an hour when he tweaked his knee and and didn't practice for half the half an hour that we saw, at least, and was still inhibited by it. I heard from very many, very reliable sources that he was killing it in that practice. So he'd have to be... um, He'll have to make the decision, this is McCronin, that given that he doesn't turn over the ball, that Will McClendon, as the season goes on, is a better option than Sebastian Mack and 6'5 to 6'6 guard Jan Mm
1: -hmm. I
3: And two guys who have some tremendous upside and are potential pros... I just, maybe if he, I can't see it lasting through the season if he gets playing time, but you nailed it. If he can supply 10 to 15 minutes of no turnover performances where he he does all the right things on the court just to settle down all the other youngsters on the court and is that other cog, experienced cog, that is highly, highly valuable. Yeah, and so that's and if my original
2: take was that Mick was gonna lose it at some point in the first month or two of the season, and like play Will McClendon like ten or fifteen minutes at point guard just because he would get so sick of guys turning the ball over. After hearing him talk this week, I am I am raising the actual possibility of that from five percent to ten percent. I think he will get driven crazy by the freshman at some point in early December. It's going to happen.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, And if we're going to talk about my takeaway from Pacto 12 Media Day, there was a lot to take away. I consider and talk about Take, take everything away. But my number one. So they get up on that dais for the TV, for Pac-12 Network, and they're talking. This is Mick Cronin and Demboya and Lazar Stefanovich. And then after they go into another room where you're right up next to them and you're asking them questions. A Dembona is like the sun. He it's we were talking about this before we started, when we turned on the tape. It's not even charisma. There's something about a Dembona. There's so there's an energy, there's a vibration, there's there's it's his not just his smile, but his face. Sometime you guys need to get up really close to a Dembona's face and see that it is flawless. There's like it is a perfectly chiseled, amazing. Face and then there's the little smile and the little glow and then he says these things and the way his voice the inflection of his what vo- it he's he's like yeah. A Dembona is I don't even know what to say. He's wow. Yeah. Wow. Everyone needs after a game, you need to wait and then go up and, and speak to a Dembona.
2: Yeah. And he'll be welcoming. He'll accept it. He will. He'll That's how great he is. You. He will. All at once.
3: He won't be creeped out by you at all. He'll no. talk to you. Yeah. No,
2: um, yeah, um, certainly. Uh, Adem's an awesome dude and a great representative of UCLA. Um, yeah, I mean, watching the videos of Mick, um, aside from again his his uh, his support of the Will McClendon campaign, um, it's just. <laughs> and this is something like, and I'm not. It's going to sound like I'm casting aspersions at Chip Kelly, and I'm not. I'm actually casting aspersions at, like, just general, like, everybody in the coaching sphere. Listening to Mick Cronin talk, there's no – like, when he's secretive about something, it, he'll, he'll bluntly say, I'm not going to tell you game plan, but – and then he'll, like, elucidate whatever the question is with, like, a different kind of answer. Um, he 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 takes the time to answer every question thoughtfully. Uh, and give you something that's, like, interesting about it, even if it's a dumb question. It's kind of incredible to watch a guy be that good at just kind of gabbing. Um, And it's not just, you know, that empty-headed Neuheisel, like, babble, where you're just like, I don't even know what I just heard. It just sounded, you know, kind of nice. Uh, It's all substantive. It's all, like, really good stuff. I mean, he talked for... On Friday, he talked for like 26 minutes. He talked for longer with like four or five members of the media on Friday last week than he did at the media day. Um, and it, But that's not to say the media day was bad. It's just, he's, he's so good in those scenarios and it's just, it, it remains kind of
3: shocking. Yeah, just also he said some things that we've heard him say before, but he can say those in a fresh way and then he'll say something new which is really intriguing at the same time. Like when I ask him a question and he kind of refutes it a little, it's not, with other coaches you say, oh, they're just being contrary. They're, when he refutes my questions, I go, oh yeah, he's right. <laughs> you don't know no, he's right. That was a bad, that was a lame question. I, I shouldn't have thrown that one out. He, and he does it in a way where he, he doesn't insult you. No. He just has a new take on it, which you say, yeah, that makes yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I yeah. I asked him about uh, I know everyone's talking about a Daimara and a Dembona playing together, but what if you play those two with Burke Bouyuk Tunchel? And he said, Well, Tracy, it's not just about playing size. And he went off on this like physicist analysis of what it would be like to have those guys in the court. Well, and the, the beauty of that response
2: is he's also not – he's not a deceptive guy. You know, he's not trying to obfuscate for the sake of obfuscation. He's not trying to deny the premise just because he doesn't like, you know, being asked questions. When you hear him say in a given moment, well, hell, we might end up having to play Barke at the four and just play one post and, you know, maybe even go small, that's an insight into his thinking right now. You know, yeah. and you can tell – you can always tell with Mick which player might be frustrating him a little bit in practice, uh, based on what he emphasizes in a particular media session. He's really insightful if you're paying attention. Like if you pay attention to what he's saying, he's not he's a he's not like a pure open book. He's not telling you every thought, but if you're reading him correctly, it's well, you can kind of get a feel for what's going on and, and who he's um, maybe high on at the moment, who's who performing well in practice, and so on and so forth.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I really, it's amazing listening to him, but I want to listen to Adembona longer. <laughs>
2: Look at you, man. You are, you are. I had on, to end
3: it on an Adembona.
2: You are on the Adembona train. All right. Well, um, everybody, enjoy the game uh, this weekend. I think, uh, regardless of result, I think it's going to be a really fun game. Um, I think it should be pretty close. Even but if it's, it's low
3: scoring, it's going to be a fun game. I
2: think it's going to be really fun. Well, and okay. Uh, I'm going to continue for just a little bit longer. And echoing your point, it's so fun to watch a good, disruptive defense. It's just so fun. If you remember 2013, with that group of Jordan Zumwalt, Miles Jack, Anthony Barr, Cassius mar well Marsh might not have still been on the team, I don't remember—Kenny Clark, Eddie Vanderdose, all those guys on that defense that went up to Oregon— and they lost they lost that game but that first half where they were just tossing around DeAnthony Thomas and just exerting their will on this team and their offense couldn't do anything but just watching a defense do that, you know there's something there's something like uh it, it's almost like one of those um you know great like sacrificial fights you hear about in history where like Spartans standing at uh, Thermopylae and all that kind of stuff uh, where it's just like ah oh, wow. To do that in a losing cause, to do that and like, you know, your offense is giving you nothing and just be thrown around a, an opposing offense. It's great to watch that. And especially when they win. But even when they lose, it's fun to watch a defense that plays with that kind of give no quarter energy.
3: And I, I, can, I can say right now, I, I'm more excited about watching this team than in any moment in Chip Kelly's tenure. And this isn't his best team. I, even all in all, with that with that poor defense last year, that offense was so talented. Yeah. <laughs> overall, it had more. That team had more talent last year. But I I'm excited, and I don't even draw the conclusion it's because of the defense. But I know that's what it is. Yeah, it's it's, just, it's because I know they're you're not going to wa- they're not going to walk on a field. I have I have a good enough faith based on reality that they're not going to get walked over. I just can't take that. I I don't want to take it. I I just don't want to see it. I think that's so demoralizing and insulting to watch your team just get destroyed on defense. So more excited about watching this team.
2: Yeah, very much agree. All right. Well, everyone, enjoy the game this weekend. Uh, Hopefully, uh, everyone will be feeling happy Sunday. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. See you all.
0: Okay, picture this.